we're losing hope in government. We're losing hope in society. We're losing hope in life. Suicide rates are off the charts. The opioid addiction, you can go through all the ills of America, and it points to the fact that people are looking for satisfaction in ways that are actually ruining their lives. They're destructive. They're Absolutely. Yeah. And so the message of Jesus Christ is not a life-taking thing. It's a life-giving thing. Welcome to this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Hi, I'm Byron Tyler. Glad to have you along today as we welcome Dr. David Level. David is the senior pastor of First Baptist Church in Millington. He's been there for a number of years serving, helping to grow the community there at First Baptist Millington. And David, it's always good to see you. It's a joy to be with you today. We've got a lot we want to share about. And congratulations, first of all, in your newest appointment as president of the Tennessee Baptist Convention. I'm uh, excited about that opportunity and looking forward to walking alongside Tennessee Baptists this coming year. It's got to be an honor to serve in that position, to lead Baptists across the state of Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's so much ministry that goes on, not just in the church. There's other organizations. You've got Union University. Mm -hmm. You've got the Tennessee Baptist Children's Homes under the umbrella there. That's correct. That are just serving and doing incredible work. There's good work for the gospel going on every day in the state of Tennessee and among Southern Baptists. And so uh, this year I get to, in an intensive way, walk alongside those people and those ministries and am um, able to share that everywhere I go with Tennessee Baptist churches. Now, did you grow up in Tennessee? I, I don't know if we I talked. did not. I was born in Texas and raised in New Orleans, Louisiana, actually. But Tennessee has been home for over 15 years. So you're kind of like a Cajun cowboy then. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm an eclectic mix of both of those. Were there preachers in your family growing up? Yeah. I'm a third-generation Southern Baptist preacher, and my great-grandfather was a Baptist deacon in Oxford, Mississippi. So uh, there's a lineage and a legacy there. Actually, that was the reason why I didn't want to be a preacher <laughs> for a long time, <laughs> not because they were negative examples, but because uh, I just wanted to chart my own path, but the Lord had other plans. Now, if you were to chart your own path, where were you hit? Oh, I was going to be a businessman. I was going to make a lot of money. I was going to live the American dream. You know, all those things that you've heard. But the Lord spoke to me in ways that I could understand. After I had come to faith in Christ, I came to a place in my life where I realized that I could do anything I wanted to do, but if I was going to do what the Lord wanted, I was going to commit my life to ministry and serving the church. I guess, David, if we would stop and think about it, especially if those who might be frustrated in the place they are right now, mm-hmm. maybe they've been striving to find that fulfillment, mm-hmm. but doing it maybe without acknowledging that God does have a, a plan and a call for your life. It mm-hmm. might not be to pastor a church like Millington First Baptist, but there is a call there. Absolutely. God's plan is to give us a hope and a future. And if we will align with the way that he's made us and designed us, and we'll express that in God-honoring ways, I think there'll be a lot of joy in that process. Now, there's drudgery in all forms of activity from work and everything else. There's some days you don't want to get up and go, but the reality is uh, you experience a joy because you know you're doing what the Lord called you to do. What's been one of your weakest moments you feel like in the past 30 years for you personally uh you know a lot of times uh, the church uh, historically and even today will have moments of divisiveness among the brothers 
and sisters in the church. As a pastor, you love the sheep and you want to shepherd them well, and you don't like it when they have adversity and difficulty like that, especially in their relations with each other. And so you want to try to help to make that better for us to get along. Because if we're fighting each other, we're not fighting the devil. There's a great need for us to express our unity by loving the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that, I think, produces fear in the heart of the enemy when we are walking together in unity and in faith. I guess as a leader, you are called to be a conflict resolver or con- mm-hmm. to help bring mm-hmm. peace and unity mm-hmm. in the middle of conflict. Mm-hmm. You know, That's just part of being a leader. And that's a tough part sometimes. You've got different situations and emotions and things that can occur mm-hmm. where you're wanting to display unity. Mm-hmm. So that's got to be a challenge. It's always a challenge. And we've got to realize that it's not just personality conflicts, but there is demonic attention being brought to us because of our faith in Christ. And the devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to divide anything that God has put together, marriages, churches, and the like. And so when we understand that, it becomes less about the individual people and more about cooperating with the Spirit and the Word. Something that God has put on your heart when it comes to soul winning, to sharing your faith. Yes. We talked earlier about methods and programs that a lot of churches have used. Many have used the Evangelism Explosion, the Four Spiritual Laws booklet with Bill Bright. Campus Crusade's been around mm-hmm. for many, many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's techniques, there's workshop, there's conferences about how do you lead somebody to Christ, how do you share your faith. And those are all good. We're not here to put any of those down. No. But something recently, dealing with the verse John three sixteen, which all of us know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If anybody can quote one verse, that's the verse we can quote. That's right. But that is something that has just welled up in you a passion and a purpose as you take on this new leadership role as the president Mm -hmm. of the Tennessee Baptist Convention to let that be a driving point for churches all across Tennessee to share the gospel. Exactly. I'm challenging Tennessee Baptists to share John 3.16 once a week with a lost person with the intention of leading them to Christ. Because we all know John 3.16, we're not asking you to go through a 12-week study. We're not asking you to shore up some biblical knowledge that you feel weak on. We're just asking you to share what you already know. In the church, sometimes I think we think we're successful when we give people more information. But the reality is we just need to implement and engage what we already know if we really want to make a difference in this world. The 316 challenge is one of those ways. We can talk to people about the gospel. We can combine it with our personal testimony, and it's everything somebody needs to come to personal faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the reality is, as Tennessee Baptists, we have about 3,000 Tennessee Baptist churches. Most of them are small. They run 25 to 100 on a given Sunday. But we are currently not winning our state to Christ. Last year, Tennessee grew by approximately 60,000 people in a state. That's a good-sized town, right? Yeah. Tennessee Baptist last year baptized 20,302 people. So it caused me to realize that right now our state's becoming more lost, more secular each and every year. And we have the good news sitting in our pews 
in the hearts of our people. And if we can move with a passion from this understanding that we're becoming more lost as a state and show people that and then challenge them, let's make a difference. If we can release the pews to the marketplace and release the pews to your neighborhood and to your next-door neighbor and to your business associates and your friends, Tennessee can become a different place in a very short time because the power of the gospel transforms lives. David, you know, the Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about internationals, people from different countries, Mm -hmm. we see a large flux of them Mm -hmm. coming into our state. Absolutely. Uh, Hispanic population has been, in this particular area of West Tennessee, one of the higher concentrated areas Mm -hmm. of receiving immigrants Mm -hmm. from South American countries. And also, I understand in Nashville, a large number of those from Muslim countries we're seeing come mosques are being built Mm -hmm. all across Mm -hmm. our state. So this gives us a great opportunity to fulfill that mandate. In fact, Nashville has one of the largest Kurdistan populations in the U.S. And so literally the world has come to us through the University of Memphis, through Vanderbilt, through University of Tennessee at Knoxville, other big schools, Middle Tennessee. All of these schools have international students there. And so If we could be effective in reaching them for Christ, they're going to go back home. And uh, we're impacting the world. And so the world literally has come to us. But we've got to make sure that we're willing to engage them with the gospel. And we talk to them about John 3.16 and the difference that Christ has made in our life. And it's fearful and fear and intrepidation for some people to even think about talking to somebody else about Christ. But the reality is, if we don't, who will? I have been to some of the establishments run by Arab families. Mm-hmm. We've gotten into conversations, and mm-hmm. they're so open to ask questions. Yes. You know, you can actually get some great opportunities just because of their curiosity. Well, absolutely. So I've got a neighbor that lives across the street. It's the Patel family. They're industrious people, hard workers, business owners. Through the recreation ministry of our church, we were able to reach out to one of their kids and grandkids just to be willing to have those conversations, to embrace those people as equals and as friends. gives us a relational opportunity to impact them with the message of Jesus Christ. And so that's God's call. And the reality is there's a lot of bridges that have to be overcome there that the Spirit is able to do. But there's other neighbors across the street as well that don't have the barrier of coming from another culture into America, but need to be relationally engaged with the message of the gospel through things like John 3.16. Yeah. And you talk about barriers. I think some of those individuals who are already here and part of our culture, understand our culture, those can be some of the bigger barriers to overcome for us personally, you know? We make so many excuses, and I think when we do so... We limit the power of God. When we make our issues, our barriers bigger than God, we're making a a false idol in our life. I can't do that because I can't, you know, Moses, I can't do this. I I don't speak well. We make all of these excuses as to why we can't and we never try. It's in trying that we learn about God, we learn about his power, we learn about how to go about what he's called us to do, and that is to share our faith. You know, Mark one seventeen, Jesus said to his disciples, if you follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. So discipleship, following Jesus, shows itself in evangelism. 
And if we're not evangelizing, we haven't been discipled because these are the words of Jesus, not me. And so if we're following Jesus, we're fishing for men and women. So there definitely is a correlation here between these two, evangelism and discipleship. I like to call it two sides of the same coin. You can't have true evangelism without discipling. You can't have discipleship without evangelism. And we've tried to dissect that in Western Christianity. And so discipleship has become a 12-week class by some well-known Christian speaker. And the reality is discipleship is not done in semesters. Discipleship is done as we go, making disciples and evangelizing people. David, let's break it down. I quoted just a few moments ago John 3.16, which many of our listeners can quote without any problem at all. Mm -hmm. They know that. They learned it back in Sunday school or Mm -hmm. someplace in life. Is you use that structure mm-hmm. for sharing Christ mm-hmm. with neighbors, with mm-hmm. coworkers, with those that you come in contact when you're out shopping, or just God gives you those divine appointments mm-hmm. we talked about. Uh, let's break down that. Mm-hmm. How would you use John three sixteen in a conversation? We ask folks to just uh, be able to quote the verse. If you quote the verse, you're going to know this outline. But you can bring, uh, you can accentuate these four truths. Uh, for God so loved the world, God loves. He loves us. He loves the world, and we're part of the world. So there's not a person on the face of the earth that's not the object of God's tender care and love. He made us in his image. And so we have a God who's not a capricious God judging us because we failed this week. We serve a God who loves us and wants us to understand his grace, mercy, and love. So we want to accentuate the love of God. For God so loved the world, that includes us, that he gave What did he give? He gave his only son, Jesus. And then we talk about Christ and what Christ has done on our behalf through his death, burial, and resurrection. You see, it's the resurrection that overcame death. Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave when he was resurrected from the dead. And it's that transforming power that raised Jesus from the dead that lives in the heart and lives of believers because we're given the Holy Spirit when we come to faith in Christ. And so then... God loves, God gave, and then we believe. Because the Bible says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish. Whoever means whoever. And so there's a point in time where we must believe, we must trust in what Christ has done in his finished work on the cross and his resurrection. And so we come to a place where we believe in that. The Bible says in Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. And so we just believe in what Christ has done for us as presented in the scripture. And the last thing is we live. We won't perish, but we'll have everlasting life. That life is in two fronts. One, it's life today. The Bible says, I've come that you may have life. Jesus said these words. I've come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Jesus has come and lives in our life, forgives us of sin, gives us the power of the Holy Spirit, gave us his word for purpose and direction so that we could live an abundant life. Abundance in America means money. It's not what it means in Scripture. Abundance means living according to God's purposes and plan. 
And then it says we'll have everlasting life. So we not only have abundant life today, we have eternal life with Jesus in heaven. You know, we like to sing about mansions in heaven. Well, we're going to have a home in heaven that's been given to us by God, and that's eternal. Yeah. That's why death is not a dead end. It's a doorway from this life to eternal life. And so we talk about that. We live in John 3.16, and that's the goal of what God has for us in Christ Jesus. David, what you've just shared, and I can't help but think there might be somebody driving their truck down the highway or down one of the busy thoroughfares in our city. Mom's at home trying to get the laundry or the dishes done before the kids come home from school. And I can't help but think that that message, which you just shared, resonated in their heart. They said, you know, wow, I don't have that. Now I understand what Jesus has done for me and made available to me. Mm -hmm. It's so clear. Yes. And it's a prayer of faith. It's simply confessing that Jesus is Lord, believing in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. That's the difference between heaven and hell. And the Bible says just a few verses down there in Romans, it says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God's no respecter of persons. He loves us. And he promises us the fulfillment of John 3, 16, yeah. if we'll trust him. And so a simple prayer of faith can uh, forgive you of your past and give you a bright future with God. Wow, that's so wonderful. And, you know, we were talking about, statistically speaking, there is the decrease in not only Southern Baptist churches, but other denominations are mm -hmm. seeing a decrease in church membership mm -hmm. all across our state and all across the country. But we're not just talking about being a member of a church on a church row. I mean, we're talking about being a member of God's family, yes. his forever family. Yes. And it's made available, as we see so clearly, in John 3.16. And folks need to hear the message. Yeah. You know, we're living in a world that's hopeless. We're losing hope in government. We're losing hope in society. We're losing hope in life. Suicide rates are off the charts. The opioid addiction, you can go through all the ills of America, and it points to the fact that people are looking for satisfaction in ways that are actually ruining their lives. They're destructive. They're Absolutely. Yeah. And so the message of Jesus Christ is not a life-taking thing. It's a life-giving thing. But the devil's convinced us of just the opposite, right? Yeah. So if I come to Christ, I've got to quit this, 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 and this, when the reality is, no, if you don't come to Jesus, you don't have hope. David, you're taking this John 316 campaign through your leadership across the state of Tennessee through the Tennessee Baptist. What about in your own church as you've implemented this in, mm -hmm. with your congregation? Mm -hmm. What are some of those comeback stories? You know, when Jesus sent his disciples out, they mm -hmm. came back with these exciting stories. Mm -hmm. People's lives were changed. Mm -hmm. What are you hearing from your people? We test piloted this challenge uh, six months before I was elected president of our state convention. So uh, our folks know the outline very well. In fact, I'll stop in the middle of a sermon and say, now, what are those four points? And they'll repeat them back to me in the middle of our worship time. But hearing the stories of people engaging others with the gospel, the excitement that comes, uh, folks gotten saved, absolutely. But the obedience is the success. Yeah. Not that fruit was harvested, if you'll understand my analogy. So if we're faithful to share, God will give us opportunities to lead people to Christ. But the obedience is in the sharing. And so there's joy when we know we're doing what God's called us to do. When somebody comes to faith in Christ, I, I encourage them to be baptized. Why do I do that? Because following Christ 
knowing you've done something that the Lord wants you to do brings a great deal of esteem because we know we're doing what God's called us to do. Same is true in sharing our faith. The success is in sharing. And so if we'll get that mindset, it'll develop. I hear 316 stories every week. People come up to me, hey, preach, let me tell you this. And they'll tell me their story. And I get great joy in seeing folks motivated and free to share the gospel uh, when God gives them opportunities. As a pastor, leading your people and seeing them respond like this and them experiencing the joy by implementing John 316 in their Mm -hmm. own life, this is very exciting. And this is something that our listeners that are with us today can do too. You gave the outline. This is in print too. So if somebody wanted to get this to have a little structure, uh, what's the best way to get that? There's uh, tracks that I developed with a friend of mine that are available through the Tennessee Baptist Convention, tnbaptist.org. Also on our website at the church, FBC, Frank Barney, Charlie, Millington.org. Those resources will be there and tutorials to encourage you and help you along. You know, the reality is moms and dads, your kids need to understand this. Yeah. And a great place for evangelism is in the context of a home where mom and dad love Jesus. And so just sharing this simply to them. Because the Bible says the gospel is so simple that even a child can understand. And so uh, we don't need to limit them by uh, thinking they need to be a certain age. We need to just share the message and let their tender hearts respond as God leads. You know, too, David, as parents set the example in their home, I was just thinking about their children being able to implement John 3.16 in the classroom with their friends. Oh, absolutely. You know, on the sports fields, too. It's amazing how quickly this could get into the ebb and the flow of believers across our state if we just take the challenge and take it on personally. God's calling me to do this. Yeah. And while we're not going to be perfect, we're going to miss opportunities and we're going to take advantage of opportunities. It has to be part of our life. So every Monday morning, I pray a prayer that says, Lord, help me to be sensitive to the opportunities you bring to me this week. On Sunday night, as our people leave, I asked them, I said, where are we going, church? And every one of them yells back at me, we're going to the mission field. And it's just taking advantage of the opportunities God gives us that will make a huge difference in seeding the gospel into our state. Yeah. And we'll see people respond because God has a heart for people to come to know him. Yes. And, David, too, what I like about this so much is that it's not, like you said, a a 12-week program. Uh, It's not a four-, six-, or eight-point outline with you have to memorize. You don't have to have a theology degree. That's right. You just have to have a heart for Christ, mm-hmm. loving to follow him and make him known, mm-hmm. and quote his word. I mean, this is God's word, mm-hmm. John three sixteen. Mm-hmm. Well, he says his word won't return void. Yes. And so if I can speak from Scripture, it has great authority. It resonates with the void that's found in people's hearts that are away from God. We need to know Scripture and be able to share that. And this verse is the gospel in a nutshell, Yeah, and everybody knows it. So we're not asking you to go through a class. We're just asking you to share the hope that's within you. I can't wait to the next six months or so as you get into this program and in your position as the president of the Tennessee Baptist Convention for you to come back and share with our listeners stories from across the state and churches where 
you're hearing the feedback and seeing people come to Christ as a result. You're seeing people get excited about sharing mm. their faith as a result of John 3.16. That would be my honor and my delight because God's called us to do it. We know we need to do it, but we get distracted. Yeah. And this is a call to engage. Let yourself accept the challenge. Hold yourself accountable with another believer in Christ and then begin to make a difference. And it will light you up yeah. for the Lord Wow! if you'll follow. David, I know this is really one of the mandates that you feel God's led you to, to take John 3.16 in this model here throughout the state. Uh, what are some other issues as the president of the convention that you want to address this next year? Certainly this is going to be the uh, supreme thing that I want to accomplish is try to help Tennessee Baptist evangelize our state in a better way. I have other responsibilities as president of the convention. I serve as ex officio on all the boards and agencies of our convention, which are pretty large. I get to learn firsthand some of the good work that Tennessee Baptists are doing each and every day through our children's homes, through our Union University, through our Baptist Collegiate Ministries all across the state, through Carson Newman University or our adult homes that care for the sick and the afflicted. And so there's great ministry going on across our state that I'll get to see in a firsthand way yeah. this year. And I just am very overwhelmed by what God has accomplished through our collective efforts and cooperative efforts to make a difference for Christ in the state. There's some of our listeners might not be aware, as you mentioned, the Tennessee Baptist Children's Home just around the corner from First Baptist Church is a boys' ranch, a working cattle horse ranch, mm -hmm. where troubled youth, boys, with a variety of issues with their families or kind of working through things. Mm -hmm. There's a place there that they can get some strong character building mm -hmm. on this working ranch. Absolutely. In fact, that land was donated by one of our members uh, years ago. And the boys' ranch is a place where people that, uh, boys that are have been in troubled family environments, for many reasons, can come and they can be raised in a home. There's about uh, eight or ten of them in each one of the homes. They have uh, house parents who give them uh, mentoring and care, provide for their needs. Then they have an opportunity to then work on the farm and go to school and also have opportunity for spiritual influence. Uh, a couple of the homes actually attend our church, and so I get to see those boys every week. And it's amazing to see what God does when they have that opportunity, sometimes to get away from the dysfunction yeah. and get into a wholesome, godly environment. Those boys make strides that you wouldn't believe. You know, I've been there. Actually, we did a live radio show from this program not too long ago, and I met some of the young men and some of the staff and house parents that mm -hmm. help nurture and help provide a loving home because mm -hmm. that's what they do. These boys are actually living with a, you know a mom and a dad mm -hmm. and other families, and they're helping take care of them. They're going to school. They're just doing life. But they have this incredible, beautiful, I don't know how many acres. I can't remember how mm -hmm. many acres it is, but this ranch, and they can ride horses. But it's not all fun and games. I mean, they have to get up at a certain time and make sure mm -hmm. the cows are fed and whatever other livestock's out there they have to take care of. But the young men took me into the barn and were showing me some of the laborious things they have to do. Yes. And it's quite intense. It is. And, you know, it's therapeutic because uh, those boys can feel a sense of self-respect, not only in learning about ranching and farming, but a self-respect in knowing that they're helping their uh, family. They're helping the group that's reached out to them and yeah. is caring for them. 
David, God bless you. Thank you so much for what you're doing for Christ's kingdom through your new position as president of the Tennessee Baptist Convention and also, of course, as senior pastor at First Baptist Church Millington for all these years. If folks want more information, you gave the websites out a minute ago for the convention and your church. Mm -hmm. And, of course, at the church, if you want information about service times and other ministries, outreaches, the activity ministries, that's on the website too? FBCMillington.org. You can get resources about our services and our recreation ministries and all the other things we do, plus the 316 Challenge. You can get tutorials and videos and things that can encourage you in sharing your faith daily as a believer. All right. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. I do appreciate you stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler. Hey, we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.